Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to another episode of the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Today, we are talking to Lieutenant Travis. She is a naval officer, mother, student, wife, and a somewhat social media influencer. And uh, we're going to talk about her work in the Navy. I, I say social media influencer because I feel like that term can be like viewed negatively, but not in your case. I w- there's like a Navy term, right? Navy digital ambassador for like what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what uh, Lieutenant Travis uh, does and, and kind of like part of what she brings to the table. And I think it's really great and just so unique because not a lot of people are doing that. And, you know, I got in contact with Lieutenant Travis by coming across her social media content and it's just really helpful. And I love what what she's doing. So thank you for joining me today, uh, Lieutenant Travis. If you would just kind of give the viewers, you know, a little bit more background about yourself. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. Um, especially like it's always wonderful when people found me through social media. Um, it's still really weird for me, but also really wonderful. Um, so I'm Lieutenant Alexis Travis. I'm a Supply Corps officer. I'm originally from just outside of Atlanta, um, but technically I lived in D.C. Uh, right before I joined the military. I moved up there for a year after college just to, I don't know, live life <laughs> um, after I joined. <clears throat> sorry. Uh, So I joined the military through OCS. After that, I went to the CBs for a couple of years and then joined the Women in Submarines program. So I was a CHOP on the USS Georgia. Uh, From there, I picked up instructor duty. I was there for three years, including uh, the infamous 2020 transition to online learning. After that, I ended up in sort of a weird situation where I ended up stashed for a year, but I got to work uh, for that year on the Warrior Toughness mobile application, which was one of the best, oddly, tours of of my career so far, even though it was only a year long. And right now I'm a graduate student at Yale School of Management getting my MBA. Um, the, The things that I'm passionate about really come down to diversity, equity, inclusion, quality leadership, and ultimately all of that for me comes down to mental health. Um, I think the quality of life that we can have, the quality of leadership that we're capable of having in the military is the key factor in fixing kind of the widespread mental health concerns that a lot of members have. And so I use my social media channels. I started about a year and a half ago telling my story, trying to tell, you know, through a joking medium, through kind of trends, through a little bit being silly, um, talk to people about the research in 
mental health, talk to them about the resources available to them, talk to them about what it means to be a good leader, um, what it means to be inclusive as a leader, and the reason that they should do that. Um, and it's kind of taken off from there. And as you mentioned, I'm a Navy Digital Ambassador, so I'm part of a team that works with Chinfo um, to do all sorts of community engagements to try and use social media to tell honest you know, kind of unfiltered stories of different parts of military life as a way to reach, you know, not necessarily potential recruits, we're not part of recruiting command, but just Americans who may not know what we do. So. Awesome. That's, um, yeah, that's great. And I was actually, um, you know, wondering a little bit more about the NDA program. So thank you for providing that insight. Um, so I'll just get like right into kind of one of the first questions that I have for you, which is like, you know, since you are so big on social media and you use that platform, you know, to engage with a lot of our um, sailors and not only sailors, but service members, can you just kind of talk about like, in your opinion, how powerful social media is, especially with the newer generation and kind of how, you know, you've used that to just take off, like you said, and, and help people. Yeah. Social media is to me the ultimate way, not in a bad way, but like in a good way to go outside the lifelines. You aren't trapped by your duty station. You're not trapped by your platform type. You aren't even really trapped by your rank. Um, you can communicate to people and meet them where they're at. And even if you're doing it in you know, a semi-professional capacity. Most of my social media work is in uniform. So I work really hard to make sure that I, you know, stand by the things that I post in a professional manner. But you can be a little more relaxed because the people you're reaching for the most part are not your sailors. You're not showing up as, you know, the same person who has to like sign a counseling chit or something. So you get to meet people where they are, talk about things that are important, and it's a self-selecting group, so if they're not interested in what I have to say, they can scroll past me, they can block me, um, which is fine. I'm not going to be everyone's you know, cup of tea, and if I was actually working with them, I might have to deal with that. But in social media, I can reach the people who want to hear the message, I can get resources in front of them, I can remind them of things that I think it's really easy to forget, like that it's okay to seek you know, mental health care, that mental health care is just the same as physical health care. Um, and you can just repeat those stories in a really non-threatening, you know, non-death by PowerPoint way. Um, and it's so like, it's easy. It doesn't take that much time. It doesn't take, I mean, now it takes a little more time and effort than it did when I first started. And my videos were just like me holding up my iPhone, talking to myself. Uh, which was awkward and weird, and there's certainly a learning curve, but um, it's not as it's not as formal, it's not as put together. There's not as much oversight as if you're doing something official, and yet you can reach literally a thousand times more people than you know another boring speech at quarters. Not that quarters is always boring, but my speeches at quarters are always boring. So that's really how I like. I think leaders are starting to see that their sailors want them to be people and that if you meet your sailors where they're already, where they already are, 
instead of, you know, forcing them into really sterile environments or really controlled environments and then trying to have an honest conversation, that you'll be a lot more productive. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, And, you know, for those who may want to, like, venture out into maybe starting their own social media content page and getting on board with like advocating for, you know, whatever their purpose is and improving, you know, systems and processes and just, you know, people um, in the military and for the military, you know, I would say, cause I experienced this myself, right. It's kind of hard to put yourself out there and there may be a little bit of like fear on the feedback and you know we're all familiar with the the social media trolls and <laughs> you know the the yeah. criticism that could come with it so like do you just do you have any words of encouragement or advice for somebody who may want to to get on social media and kind of start you know doing the same kinds of things yeah i mean i think the most common pages that you see it's a, it's a lot of our faces right it's um, I think some of the more famous, famous, some of the more noticeable, popular, I don't know, all of those words make me super uncomfortable. But I think everyone has heard of like Captain Gurvey uh, when he was the CEO of the of the John P. Murtha. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it wasn't his face all the time. It wasn't him talking all the time. It was a lot of like, you know, B-roll videos of just life on a ship or his sailors doing stuff. And so it doesn't always have to be you or your face. It doesn't have to be your face at all if you're uncomfortable with that. There are, there's a, so many ways to put good information out on social media. Static pictures, carousels, you know, even reels that don't necessarily have your face in them. Um, and just find what works for you. Really, what people can sniff out on social media more than anything else is if you're faking it. If you are not being authentic, if you are, you know, trying to make a style work that does not work for you, that's when you're going to not just get trolls, but you're going to get people who legitimately are like, it's not a good, it's not a good look. And what is true to every person is going to be different. The stories you tell, the things you advocate for, the method you use. Um, And then the other kind of overarching advice that I give anyone who is like, hey, I think I'm doing, I'm thinking about doing this is one, do it. We need more stories out there because if all of the stories are getting told through official news outlets, people aren't getting, you know, what it's really like to be us. And the more voices we have in the discussion, the more powerful the reality of our lives will be. And then two, um, Make sure you are really sure why you're doing it and that you believe in that why and have some really solid sounding boards. Um, For me, you know, I have a couple of friends who, let's see, a lieutenant, a lieutenant commander. My husband uh, is a veteran. And so they understand like the military, the professional implications, the culture, all of that. And I know that if I send them, hey, I think I'm thinking about posting this or if I post something and they see it and they're like, not that like and they like you know they cringe they're just like not a good look or you might have crossed a line they're gonna tell me and having those people who will support you unconditionally including supporting you enough to tell you when you've messed up um and supporting you enough to tell you when someone who's trolling you is is doing that and 
when people are really out there trolling, it's it's about them. It has nothing to do with you. And having people who can remind you of that is really big because I've taken a couple um, big breaks from social media because ironically, in talking about mental health, uh, it did a lot of harm to my mental health. Um, especially, I know at one point, one of my posts got shared to... Um, <laughs> a Facebook group of people who disagree with me. Um, and I ended up with like thousands of comments a day that I was trying to sort through um, and pull down because they were, I mean, they were vile. They were really, really mean about not anything in the posts, but like me as a human, even though these were not people who knew me. Um, and having someone who can tell you it, it's time to take a, to take a, a beat, and try again in a few days when it's not making your life worse um, is really important. So having those sounding boards, having, you know, those people who can help you navigate it is really big. That's, that's, yeah, that, that's very true. Um, You know, I just want to say that that is awesome. Right. And it sends a mess. It sends a message in itself that you, you know, were able to, get through that and that you had a support system, right? Get, getting through that negativity um, for, you know, somebody who may disagree because, you know, not everybody is going to like what we do. They're not going to like us and you have to be able to accept that and move on. Right. And I think, you know, you saying that and just sharing the message and giving your advice about, you know, being on social media is so amazing because, you know, I know, you know, you may be familiar with um, the Navy chief uh, rap video, you know, she got a lot of, um, she got a lot of hate, and just awful, vile things said about that. And it's just terrible. And that's just a testament to show, you know, that we really do need to just be kind individuals. And if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. And then there's a, um, another, um, lieutenant or maybe she's a JG or an ensign. I'm not sure, but there's another, you know, for lack of a better term, right. Famous quote unquote, um, Navy officer. Um, and I just hate to see how much, you know, hate that she gets as well. And it's like, as a service member, we should really just support each other. And if, like I said, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, then, then don't say it at all. Yeah. And I think the, the secret sauce in a lot of that, the, <clears throat> sorry, um, the secret sauce in a lot of that is you can't beat someone who's having fun. Um, if you get on social media and it is, I would give it like 80% of the time, what you're doing is fun. Like you find it funny. You are having a good time learning, learning the skills, learning the tools, um, using them people can't beat you. They can't beat you by being better at it. They can't beat you by making fun of you because if you're having a good time, it's going to keep being fun to show up. You're going to put in the extra time and effort to learn how to do it well, to, you know, to talk to people, to whatever. And I think that's what you see. I mean, and so the, the Navy chief rap, um, I saw it, I think back when it was over on, on TikTok, uh, before it started making the rounds on Instagram but like she's having fun. And when people start to just really hate on someone who's not 
breaking any rules, who's not, you know, violating the UCMJ or policy, and they're just having fun. Again, like that says something about them. It doesn't say anything about the person who who made the video. Like they can be proud of their rank. They can make silly jokes. They can do funny edits on the videos and everyone should just like, in a, you know, to some extent, like, like calm down. It's the internet. Like have a good time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I've had conversations with her and, you know, develop this relationship. And that's just how she is. You know, she's just a, a really fun going, like, you know, goofy person. And, you know, if I had a chief like that, like, that's awesome, right? Because you can connect and just, like you said, meet people where they are. And like, it just brings that human factor. So I think it's really great and positive, you know, what, what she was doing. Um, right. And is and is doing right. It's great. Um, so the, I want to talk about your Reddit AMA because like you're, <laughs> you don't just do a lot of, uh, you don't just do right. The Instagram and the TikTok videos, but you also kind of brought it to Reddit. And if anybody knows anything about Reddit, especially like the Navy subreddit, that can be a harsh place. Um, there are, <laughs> yes. uh, there are a lot of, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of people on there that, you know, just say whatever unfiltered and um yeah it it can be a scary place so like that that also shows that you kind of overcame that by going on reddit and then that you truly do believe in and and serve your purpose to kind of advocate and provide those mental health resources because you know reddit for me i go on there all the time and a lot of the posts that i see when it comes to mental health or to leadership or discrimination and harassment it's just so sad and heartbreaking um, this outreach, like they go on here looking for help, um, looking for solutions. Maybe they just want to vent. Um, and, you know, you would be surprised at how many legit cries for help are on there. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to say thank you for doing that AMA. <laughs> and then I want to like, just kind of ask, you know, what, what was your inspiration behind it? And just if you could just kind of talk to talk about some of the things on there and, and really just, you know, the experience that it was for you. Yeah. So I'm not on Reddit, um, as much as I'm on other stuff. My husband is really the Reddit person. Um, mostly when I'm on Reddit, I am kind of in the background reading a lot of those things that you're talking about, because I think it's, if you want like a pulse on how the people who would never talk to Lieutenant Travis, like how they really feel about something, Reddit's where you're going to get it. Like if they make a uniform change or a policy change and you want to know what what the troops, like what the sailors feel, that's where it's going to be. Um, so I'm mostly a lurker <laughs> over on Reddit, um, but I have commented a few times and one of the mods um, also follows me on social media. And honestly, so the... You mentioned another lieutenant, um, and there was a bit of a dust-up on Reddit um, about a lieutenant who was sent to the Super Bowl, um, and a lot of those comment sections went really, really negative about military members on social media. And as you said, like, I think that that as a channel is really important for us. I think it's important that service members are there and telling real stories and connecting. 
Um, and so I didn't want it to end up being this like death toll, death knoll for social media where everyone was like, you know what, this is cringe. This is horrible. We hate it. We're out. Uh, so I got in touch with my friend who's one of the mods and I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm willing to face it. I'm willing to face it down. I know that there's going to be some hate, but we need to talk about the channel. We need to talk about how it can be leveraged for positive things like mental health um, and how to do it right. And kind of just opened it up from there. And um, she was really supportive. The mods, I think, had like a background discussion because they were really worried that I was going to get eaten alive. And they wanted me to know that that was a very real possibility. Um, but I think it actually ended up, it ended up going really well. There was one thread that went really sideways. Um, and I was lucky that a couple of other people came in to defend me in that thread, um, even above and beyond kind of what I was able to defend for myself, which I think goes back to our, our talk about like having allies, having people on your team. And if you are following the rules and you're being true to yourself, like you will find allies out there who are willing to help you stand up for yourself. Um, so it was a, it was an interesting, it was an interesting day. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I was uh, I went through the thread and you know a lot of the questions that were asked um, were very productive and insightful and you provided some really thorough responses and some of the things that stuck out to me you know were that a lot of the concerns in the thread were about getting mental health care treatment and then the fear that getting that treatment could have on their careers. And, you yeah. know, as you know, as a, as a mental health advocate, that's a common um, theme, right? We call it the stigma. And that, that unfortunately prevents a lot of our sailors and service members from getting help. So, you know, do you have any, any words to say? I know you answered the question on the post, but, you know, just in, in your own, you know, organic way here um, to anybody that might be hesitant to, to seek out mental health care treatment. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing to really note is that the statistics of like losing your security clearance, um, it's like point, I don't want to misquote it. It's less than 1%. It's like, I think 62 people out of the 5 million adjudications in like the last 12 years, adjudications being anyone who is being investigated or reinvestigated for any reason, 62 people lost their security clearances only for mental health, um, which is, I mean, it's minuscule. It's nothing. And we hear these stories, always a sailor of a sailor of a friend of an LPO of a guy that I knew on used to ship um, who, who lost his clearance um, or she, you know, got, got med boarded out. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It absolutely does. But one of the great things about like this podcast, when you're talking about the positive stories is, so much of the conversation gets dominated by those stories that I think we really lose perspective on what the real percentages are, which is if you are proactive about your mental health, if you get treatment and you stick to your treatment plan, the vast majority of us will see absolutely no impact. 
And that's one of the reasons that I'm really forthcoming about both my initial diagnosis, my follow-on diagnosis, and my ongoing treatment, is I want people to see somebody who picked up rank, somebody who's done sea duty, somebody who, you know, got picked up for a competitive grad school program, and is doing that despite the Navy being really, really aware of the fact that I have a mental health concern um, that I'm probably going to be treated for for the rest of my life. Um, Because I want people to know that the stigma, one, even though it comes from a real place, is usually is usually exaggerated and that it keeps people from getting help at an early enough stage that they can manage it and be okay because what happens is people get so afraid that they let it build up until it is so bad that they get pulled from their ship or they end up an inpatient where if they had felt safe to do it earlier it might never have gotten that far and then the other thing is like I try to tell people never take no from someone who can't tell you yes. And what I mean by that is like, if you are being told by your LPO, by your chief, by your divo, that you can't seek mental health care or that you can't go to that appointment, you know, because you have duty, that's not actually the person who can tell you no for that. (laughs) Um, You know, that you deserve health care. It's a right for us. Um, And I talk to people, I talk a lot about getting a heavy for that, which is like someone who can be an ally, who can help you send the email or stand with you, you know, outside of the office before you go in and stand up for yourself, you know, kind of pump you up a little bit. Having that person, just, you know, even just one person who can help you get through some of those stumbling blocks of that one leader who, you know, tries to tell you you're hurting the team when you go to therapy or that voice inside your own head that tells you that, you know, you're weak, which you're not, but depression is a liar. Um, having those kinds of voices to help counterbalance everything else um, is really important. Yes, it is. And I wanted to, um, you, you made me think of one of your posts. Um, it was about advocacy You know, you made a video about the importance of advocating for yourself and you even went on to, you know, provide tips and tools on how to do that. And a lot of what I see, right, is maybe younger sailors or service members in the military who think that they, you know, that that no from that LPO or that chief is the end all be all. And so I love that you spread the message that it's not and you encourage and empower people you know, to stick up for themselves and not take no for an answer. Because like you said, you know, mental health care is your right. All of your health care is your right. And those those leaders in those positions, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know, maybe they just don't understand or realize or maybe they're misinformed. But just because they are doesn't mean that you have to be. And I, I love that, you know, empowerment. And I always, any opportunity that I can, like to tell everybody that knowledge is power. So if something doesn't feel right, um, then it's not right. And, you know, you may have to do a little bit of research or you can reach out to me and I'm sure they can reach out to you to kind of have those, yeah, that ally, that, that backup, you know, to, to kind of help you navigate through. So. Yeah. And, and to your point about like educating leaders, that's like the, the other side of the coin that I try really hard to communicate, which is one, I think 
anyone in the in the navy in the military is capable of being a leader and it it very rarely has a lot to do with rank <laughs> um but leaders need to understand the impact of well you can't go to therapy today because the you know the watch bill is short and we end up in this like tunnel vision of the watch bill or the work day or what's it going to look like fit you know your fit rep your eval your rank your collaterals we we end up in this very tunnel visioned place and if you zoom out and you're like first off there has never been a day on any at any of my sea duties or any of my other commands where one person missing 2 hours to go to therapy and then come back was going to break the mission of the Navy. I've it's, Maybe there are commands where that is true. It's probably not any of ours. <laughs> um, you know, it's like not being able, <clears throat> not being able to zoom out and say, actually this sailor getting the help they need right now so that they are capable of deploying when the ship gets underway in six months so that they stay in the Navy because they feel taken care of not being able to see those long-term consequences is part of how we end up in this, you know, in the situation we're in where sailors constantly get told tomorrow, 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 or next time, next time, next time, or you're hurting the team and they never get help. And then things get really bad. And if we looked at it more holistically, if leaders were willing to take, you know, a rough day here and there so that their sailors were taken care of, you'd actually have happier, healthier, more productive sailors, and you would win in the long run. You just have to be willing to make the short-term sacrifice. Right. And um, in my experience, you know, being in like a, a tactical type community, there was always this saying that we had when we would, when we would prepare our gear or are getting ready for a training exercise or a mission, right? It's like two is one, one is none. So we should also never put ourselves in the position with our people where if we lose somebody, then, you know, we're at a failure. Um, and that's not the sailor's fault, yeah, right? That's, exactly. that's on. So one of my commanding officers had a heart attack on our way to deploy. We were meeting a forward deployed ship. He had a heart attack, like on the plane or the night before, I don't remember. And they had to switch out commanding officers like at the very beginning of a deployment um, and the ship still deployed and it didn't sink. And to the best of my knowledge, no one died. Um, at least, yeah, no, we didn't fire any ordinance. So no one died. Um, and if the CEO of all people, like the supposedly least trade outable person on the, on the boat can be traded out, you can make time for that third class or that JG or whoever to go to therapy or to go to medical or to go for a run for their mental health. Like we can, we can make that time. Leaders just, they end up really against the wall feeling like everything is an emergency. And we don't really talk to leaders a lot about taking the breath taking a step back and looking at the long-term consequences of things. Yeah, that's, that's a good um, point. And uh, a lot of the, you know, conversations is like, yeah, leaders, you know, if you're in a leadership position, which we all are, if we're in the military and, and we'll find ourselves in, in higher level positions, but you got to take care of yourself and uh, you got to, 
you got to know, you got to be self-aware. That's one of the the big leadership principles too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a, something that I feel like is relevant to the conversation, it's a quote that I actually just stumbled across earlier, was that you have to protect people because in tough times, the numbers will never rush to save you. And, you know, that is so true. So it's like, people are human and we have to treat them like humans and we have to care for them because that's what's important. Absolutely. And, and this is another thing that I harp on all the time, which is like, look, our people are our greatest asset. I think the Virginia class submarine is wonderful. I think aircraft carriers are great. The F-97 or whatever jet we're on to now, um, I'm sure it's very capable. None of those things do anything or matter at all if they aren't being operated and cared for and maintained by people who are happy, healthy, whole, and ready to do the thing. Um, And I'm a big believer that the next, you know, the next major conflict, whatever it is, it's not going to be won by a technological advantage. It's going to be won by people. Because when you look at the history, that is what always makes the difference in conflict is the people who are willing to go the extra mile to do the extra thing to risk um and people will do that if they're taken care of and they won't do that if they're not taken care of that's where we're going Mm -hmm. to see the sink or swim which is why i think you know going back to the trolls i get a lot of like oh this is weakening the military you're the problem with the military um and that stuff makes absolutely no impact anymore because truly, I think they have it totally backwards. <laughs> I think they've they've got, you know, hit them with the reverse Uno, which is taking care of our people is the most tactically sound thing we can do. It is going to make the difference when we end up in a conflict with a near peer competitor because nobody treats their military like we do. Um And nobody has the capability of treating their military like we do as individuals with that individual value that bring diverse thought and diverse ideas and creativity and passion. And when you do that, unstoppable, absolutely unstoppable. I I 100% agree. And I I actually want to, um, you know, say that you may have made your statement right that you know our military takes care of us and they give us these resources and you know that that there are things in place um and I would go on to say that I'm sure there may be listeners um who hear that and may 100% disagree um and I think that's only because of their own lived experiences um so I just wanted to point that out because I I want to encourage people to have an open mind and try to look at things big picture when it comes to the Navy's policies and the programs that they put out. Um, I think a lot of people like to say, I think a lot of people like to say that, oh, these programs, you know, were just made for somebody's, you know, eval or fit rep bullet, or it's just (laughs) the new, yeah, it's just the new catchphrase, or it's like a, you know, cover cover your own butt kind of thing and i i don't believe that i mean if you look at like you know the cno and the mcpons like their their vision and their mission and their guiding principles 
Um, it all speaks to quality of life and taking care of our sailors. And, and when you have that in black and white, then that's what it is. There's no gray area. There's no read between the lines. And where I think that that gets confused is like the telephone game, right? When you play the mm. telephone game um, and you have this information, this, this statement, you know, this black and white that was said, it goes through several different people. They interpret it their own way or they hear it their own way or they enforce it their own way. So by the end of the telephone game, when it gets to the last person, the message is completely convoluted. And I think that's where that, um, you know, that skepticism comes from. Um, so we just have to work hard to, to not play the telephone game with, with these um, programs, policies and initiatives and, and really take them for what they are. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, the Navy, you know, put out something a week ago, maybe a little bit more about they're requesting so much more resource, you know, money uh, and so many more resources for things like mental health care in the military. And then two or three days later, I was talking with one of my friends who works in mental health care uh, in the Navy, and she just got word that they cut a bunch of the embedded mental health <laughs> billets for one of the communities she works with. And we were talking about like exactly what you were, you were saying, which is like the left hand is not talking to the right hand here, where if we're asking for all of these additional resources and then we're cutting billets. Um, and so I think that skepticism you talked about is, is well-earned because I am always floored whenever I try, like someone will ask me for a graphic or whatever, like all the resources. And it's like, man, if you try and, if you try and get all the resources, it's exhausting. There's so many, there's nonprofit, this, there's fleet and family that there's, you know, medical, this and that there's all these avenues some of which are resourced better than others. And that's really where I think the problem comes in is it's those four to six week wait times, you know, to get, to get therapy. It's when they started making us get referrals to do a telemind and doctors on demand for therapy. And it's like, okay, so now I have to wait three weeks to get a referral from my primary care and then I can get, I can apply to do telemind and then I have to wait four to six weeks with telemind because civilian mental health care is also under-resourced and understaffed right now. And by the time you add it all up, especially if you're suffering from something called something like depression, which makes following up with all of those appointments and all of the emails and all of it makes it so hard and every one of those stumbling blocks is going to cost us someone on the road. They're just going to stop. They're not going to continue seeking care. And so I think the skepticism is well-earned, which is why those of us who can identify those weak points and identify when the left hand's not talking to the right hand um, should be talking about it really openly so that the left hand and the right hand have to see what the other is doing and figure it out because we deserve that. We deserve them to figure it out. We do. And, and I, and I think that we're getting there and uh, we just unfortunately have to be really patient. Cause I also say like, you know, we have to do something now. And part of the reason why I wanted to create this platform, right. Is for people to share their stories about, you know, how they were able to build that toughness or that resiliency or, or, 
find these alternate coping mechanisms to deal with that, um, you know, hardship, anxiety, stress, depression, whatever the case may be, um, because life happens to all of us. And it tends to be very unexpectedly. And so, yeah, we Mm -hmm. don't have time to wait that three to six to eight weeks for a referral to get care or to be self-reliant when we are in a depressive state um, because of things, you know, to chase down these resources. And so um, I just, I forgot where I was going with my train of thought on this. (laughs) But I just, yeah. That patience is so hard, especially when you're talking about like, I think you could get every military member in a single room and you could say, hey, do we need, you know, better mental health care? Do we need a better policy about mental health care? And I think you would get overwhelming agreement. And then you try and dig into what, what does that mean specifically? Who's in charge of that? What policy are we changing? How are you enforcing it? Who's signing it? How do you make sure that it stays when that person leaves and the next person takes over that billet? And when you get into, and it's boring, right? Like the logistics of how most of logistics is like, it's a lot of spreadsheets and it's a little boring. I can say that I'm a supply officer. I was going to say, yeah, you would know. (laughs) and And I mean, it's interesting to me. I love a good spreadsheet, but you know, I get it. Uh, I'm a nerd. It's fine. Um, the logistics of policy change are like that, but worse because you don't get, you know, steak and lobster at the end. You just get words on a page that you hope make some kind of difference. And I've tried to be really active in looking at policy changes in helping people write policy changes when I get the opportunity. And it is to even gain an inch of ground so slow because the process is so convoluted and so many different people can, you know, have their fingers in the pie. And so when we ask people to be patient, a lot of it is just that, like there are good people, there are good leaders who are trying to make a difference. It is going to take time. And that's part of the reason that I kind of attack mental health at the leadership level, which is like, look, I can't fix all the policy right now. I just can't. The people who are already in crisis, I need. we need to be putting out the resources. The people who aren't in crisis yet, but are starting to suffer, we need to, one, get them resources, but two, get to the, get to the root of that problem, which is almost always something in their leadership, right? It's something about the environment that they're in, which... To me, I think it, the accountability for that almost always comes down to the to the deck plate leaders, right? To to the junior officers, um, to you know the chiefs, the LPOs, to the people that they are seeing all the time. Which is not to say that a toxic triad can't make everyone so miserable that the whole the whole thing breaks down. Um, but there's a lot that can be done at those levels, and that's what we can make a difference in today, tomorrow, next week, next year. The big culture policy changes are going to just, they're going to take time. And some of it is it's going to take until the people who believe in those changes are in power, which is going to take five to 10 years, maybe, you know, for people in my rank to be important enough that people have to listen to us, I guess. 
No, that's it, that's very true and a, and a great point. And I share that sentiment. Um, and I, you know, the podcast that I did with the Pacific Fleet Master Chief, you know, somebody who's been in for over 30 years, he agrees, right? He says the exact same thing. We can tackle this problem because he acknowledges that there is a mental health care crisis, not only in the Navy, but nationwide. But mm-hmm. if we as leaders, as deck plate leaders, those divos, department heads, LPOs, ALPOs, work center supervisors, chiefs, if we just care about the people that we're leading and we act as that counselor, as that, you know, person to beg to, as whatever they need us to be, we can really start, you know, doing some preventative, um, take some preventative measures to stop sailors from needing those mental health care resources. Now, we're not going to completely stop it, right? But if we can alleviate the stress and the anxiety and just those things that don't need to happen by our leadership, um, we can, yeah, make a tremendous change and impact it. And I really do hope that we get there. Yeah. And so I was recently, um, I got to be on a phone call with CMP about the new mental health playbook. Oh, oh, awesome. Okay. I'm so excited about that playbook. Yeah. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And um, the playbook is dense. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Like I said, I think once people start digging into what's really out there as far as resources and responsibilities for mental health care, there's a lot. And so it's really dense. Um, So, you know, on the one hand, everyone should read it. On the other hand, if you're having trouble going to sleep, um, I love a good Navy pub anytime I, I can't get to sleep. But um, the the great thing is that, one, it's the first in several really important steps that they are taking to try and do exactly what you said. And they talk about it as like preventative maintenance, which is like you wouldn't take a jet and specifically go out and just beat it up just so that your mechanics can like go out and fix it. That would not be a reliable way to take care of our equipment. And we wouldn't be like out there breaking our service members' legs just so that, oh, well, once it heals, technically the bone is stronger in that place where it was broken. Like that is a very weird thing. But for a long time, we've tried, we've sort of treated mental health that way, which is like, we're going to make you suffer. And that suffering is some sort of essential part in you being stronger later, um, which is, to, to modern psychology, um, just really factually not supported. Uh, mm-hmm. Breaking people down, putting them in those stressful situations just to put them in those stressful situations um, really has no data behind it. Um, so we, why would we break our sailors? Why would we do that to them when if we can just have emotionally intelligent and, and trained leadership who know what to look for, who know how, you know, sailors don't need an easy schedule all the time. We know, right, that deployment and yard periods and things like that come with stressors. But the difference that a predictable schedule, like my husband doesn't necessarily need me home for dinner every night, but if I can tell him on Monday that I'm going to be home Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'll cook dinner those nights, um, but I won't be home Wednesday and we can start prepping him for that, the kids for that, you know, the house for that, whatever. Um, 
huge impact on mental health. And it's not that I'm working fewer hours. It's that I can have some sort of autonomy and control in my life. And real tangible skills about how to be that kind of leader, they're trying to get after them. They're trying to teach teach it at the junior levels, right? Teach it at the accession programs. Teach it anytime they're headed to a leadership position and assess if people are really doing that. And that's what's going to make the big change, right, at the at the fundamental level. And I know, I can't remember which office it is exactly, and I don't want to get it wrong, but they're doing tests right now to do psyche valves on anyone headed to be part of a triad where they want to get through and find if these people have emotional intelligence because they're starting to really understand that the emotional intelligence of the triad and the leaders is the un- it, it's the secret sauce in that quality of life. It's the secret sauce and if the sailors are having those mental health problems. Um, and they'll always, you know, I was at a command with a great leadership team when um, I got my initial diagnosis. So we're never going to eradicate it completely. Um, but the fact that I'm healthy now and the fact that I'm still in the Navy, I think speaks volumes as to the power of that kind of leader. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And um, yeah, to, to just, you know, back up your point that you made and I'm so excited, you know, and happy to hear that they're, you know, starting this research on those psyche valves because yeah, emotional intelligence is really important. And um, I, I refer back to this leadership course that I took um, outside of the Navy. And that was what they told us, you know, that research shows that the most successful leaders, the ones that are able to, you know, get people to follow them into a burning building, right, hypothetically, mm-hmm. are those that that are extremely high in emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that I try and pitch this to leaders who are like, really hesitant about it is Truly, if everyone in the Navy followed every rule every time, um, nothing would ever get done. And I don't mean that in a we should all be breaking the rules all the time kind of way. I just mean, so like there's a kind of famous example where there was a post office and someone in the post office got in trouble for lifting a package that weighed like 51 pounds because the rule was, you know, you had to have two people to lift a package over 50 pounds. And so everyone in the post office was like, bet. And they started following every rule down to the T. If it weighed 51 pounds, I will stand near it until someone else comes over to help me. And I will definitely not move it by myself. And like within three days, they had so much mail backed up that they had to like bring in extra postal workers. It was like a whole big deal. And I love that example because not because I'm saying people should break rules, but because when you have a good leader, you will get that extra work out of people. They'll stay a little bit later. They'll read the email twice to make sure there's no typos. They'll, you know, actually make the PowerPoint presentation moderately interesting and practice it in the mirror once so that it's, you know, fluent in front of the commanding officer or whoever. They'll go those extra steps. Instead of just following a um, um, a maintenance card, I think, M- MRC, um, that doesn't make sense, they'll actually put in the effort to, to do the rewrite change and the request and whatever. And you only get that extra oomph 
that actually makes the Navy run relatively well if people are taken care of and passionate and know that their leaders will value that extra work. Um, and, and all of that underlies not only, again, like that good tactical success of the military, but it's directly in line with the quality of life of our members. And when people try to say that those two things are not intimately connected, I think that's what they're missing. Yeah. Um, and so I want to steer the conversation kind of like back to you. Um, oh, no. And I want, <laughs> no, not, oh no. I, I just, I want to ask, you know, because you are, you know, a wife and you have children, and you're an active duty naval officer. And not only that, like you go above and beyond to put yourself out there to educate and help others and advocate on their behalf, as well as, you know, you're a student um, pursuing even higher education. So with all of that on your plate, that's, that's a lot. And like, I can kind of relate in that I, I like to stay busy. And, you know, I tend to put a lot on my plate too. But like, that can also be a cause of stress for some. And so, you know, with your personal experience with that, do you have any, um, you know, advice about how you navigate that personally or how anybody else that may, you know, also be a mother and a wife or a student, how, how they can kind of balance um, and, and just really take care of themselves? Yeah. Um, the The real secret sauce is I outsource as much as I can. Um, I have a lot of help. Um, you know, my husband is an incredibly involved partner. Um, and I, I truly mean like partner, uh, which is great. And that he, you know, when I'm falling behind on school or I'm overwhelmed and I just like am checked out, um, or I'm having kind of a rough mental health go for a while, he's great at stepping up. Um, we also have pretty supportive family. They're not local, but with enough notice, we we have some of that support. So it's really important to me that I recognize that I'm privileged in those ways. Not everyone even has a partner, um, you know, even if they have kids or or has that kind of supportive family. And so it's like, I don't ever want people to think that um, that doing it all is like really easy and that everyone should just like flawlessly execute a bunch of different things all at once. I think that sets people up to be really stressed. Um, and it sets people up to feel like they're not doing enough when they are. Some of us have bigger plates so we can put more on it because we have other people helping us, you know, balance it. Beyond that, um, for the, the two big things are knowing like the list of priorities and where there's a hard line on that list of things that can drop off. Um, so this last quarter, my school is in quarters, um, I was having kind of a rough time mentally. And if, if anyone follows my social media, they'll see that my posts, I mean, they, I probably dropped off by about 50%. Because the first thing to go for me is like, that's a hobby. It's, it's not my kids. It's not their futures. It's not what actually pays my paycheck. Uh, so that that's always like the bottom of the list. And I know that if I have to find Slack, that's that's a place that I can find it. Um, and kind of like a less popular example, I guess, is like I'm a student and my grades last semester were not stellar. 
because the difference between passing my classes and doing really well in my classes was not going to be worth the extra stress at that time. We, we just had other stuff going on. And I think kind of knowing where you can find that give in your life, whether it's do you need all those collateral duties, right? Do you need uh, to be doing the CrossFit Open this year? Or is, or is it okay to just do the workouts and like not put that pressure on yourself? So knowing, and that's not true for everyone, right? Everyone is going to have a different list of and a different preference of where they find that slack. And you have to, you know, you have to be honest with yourself, which is super hard because I'm, I'm, I like to be high achieving. So not getting good grades doesn't feel great to me, but surviving the semester with enough mental health left intact that I can, you know, keep at it is more important and you have to have, you have to be able to, to sort that out. Um, and then beyond that, um, how do I juggle anything else? Uh, support knowing when I cannot do stuff, um, and not juggling it very well. (laughs) Um, it's, it's all a give and take. Sometimes I'm more of a mom. Sometimes I'm more of a wife. Sometimes I'm more of a student. Um, And I'm staring down, heading back to sea probably in about a year, um, year and a half. And so we've had to start having tough conversations about how being a mom and a wife is going to take a real backseat to being a naval officer if I have to go back out to sea. Um, I think it's just important that people recognize that there's like seasons in a lot of that. You don't have to be doing all of it all the time um, for it to still be fulfilling and still be part of who you are. Yeah, no, I think that was really good advice. And, um, you know, it's just, and I think it all ties back to also just doing what makes you happy and focusing yeah. on, on the, on what's important to you. Um, and, and what's, in, and what's most important to you. Like I, I mentioned, you know, for me, education, um, is a big part. So it's like, you know, if I, I may have a lot going on, but because I know that education is important to me, I'm going to prioritize that and I'm going to be okay with letting some other things maybe fall to the back burner. And I'm not going to let, you know, pressure from other people, um, try to change, you know, my mindset when it comes to that. So yeah, just really knowing your truth and your why and, uh, what's most important to you and ultimately sticking to that and doing what makes you happy. um, Yeah. And communication. I, you, you kind of brought it up there a little bit. I think, again, for me, especially like in my marriage, um, but I, I mean, I think it goes for any relationship. And when my kids are older, I think it'll mean a lot to them too, is like just being honest and being willing to communicate what's going on. Um, kind of like I said earlier with the like, what nights can I be home? You know, I have conversations with my husband, um, if I have like a lot of projects or a lot of homework for school coming up, um, where it's like, look, I'm not going to be a particularly good mom or wife this week. Cause I just have an avalanche of other stuff coming at me and being able to have that conversation with the other people that are being influenced by that decision and make as many of those decisions together as you can, right? When is there flex in my life? that he needs support, you know, when do I need to be able to flex to support my kids more? Um, The more transparent 
you can be about that with whoever is part of your support system, the better things will be. Because like I said earlier, like people can suffer through a lot as long as their expectations are managed. If I can tell him, look, this is going to be a terrible week. I am not going to be a good wife. I am going to be buried in books and you might see me for coffee for 30 seconds in the morning. That would not be a good way to sustain our relationship. But if he knows that it's just for a week and that it's not personal and that that's just going to be the way it is, like he can deal. He's and and most people can deal as long as you're honest and upfront about it. Yeah, that's true. Communication is definitely key as well. So Hmm. at this point in the conversation, um, I want to ask, you know, if you have your own um, personal, you know, seat of triumph, um, which is just a a reframing of a traumatic adversity into the beginning of progress. Um, So just a time, you know, that, that you may have found yourself in a stressful or, you know, just adverse situation um, that that you want to share and and kind of um, explain how you triumphed or or got through it. Yeah. So I joined the military with with an eye on mental health. So someone um, in my family that I really care about um, was deployed um, in 2000, oh my goodness, six, a really long time ago. And um, he came back with a lot of mental health concerns, and that was not an era when the military was doing a really good job of promoting and destigmatizing mental health. And for him, um, it ultimately, you know, it was it was one of the dominoes uh, that cost him his life. And so I started my career really focused on that. And then surprise, surprise, when I was about uh, seven, eight years in. Um, right after I had my daughter, I had been like a, like a nose to the grindstone, always take the hardest billet, take as many collaterals, do all the things, be at every, you know, Mando fun event, volunteer for every school sports day, whatever we were doing, um, for a long time, really burning the candle on both ends. And when my daughter was born, I very quickly... (laughs) got really, really um, taken down by postpartum postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. Just an absolute one-two punch. Um, And like to the point, I I had a lot of invasive thoughts. I couldn't sleep because I was very convinced that if I slept and there wasn't another adult in the house, that I would sleep through her crying and something bad would happen. And it was like this weird, amorphous, like thundercloud in the distance that I never knew what bad was going to happen, but something bad was going to happen. And it was my job to like hold the whole thing back. And that went on for six, seven, eight, eight or nine weeks, maybe. Uh, And during that time, this is what I mean by like, I was like a, I can handle anything kind of person. My husband was a reservist at the time, and he volunteered to go to Korea, uh, his two weeks of active duty in Korea, when I was going to be six weeks postpartum. And he didn't do that like unilaterally. I was like, yeah, of course, 
How hard can it be to keep a thing alive? It will be totally fine. She'll be great. I'll be great. Everyone will be great. You go have two weeks in Korea. Um, and I, we d- did not know before he left, uh, certainly not before he volunteered for that, but before he left that I had a postpartum anxiety and depression. And when he got back, I was in a really bad place from it because <laughs> um, it really kicked everything into high gear, him being gone. And he was the one who was like able to get a little bit of perspective on it and be like, I love you. And I also love you enough to let you know that the things you are saying and thinking and doing right now doesn't look healthy. It doesn't look like you. And it has me really concerned. I'd like you to speak with someone, which is, I think, a terrifying thing for a spouse to say to another spouse because you just never know how they're going to react. Um, my reaction was complete and total relief <laughs> because if something was wrong, then we could fix it. And I didn't have to feel that way for the rest of my life. And so I was able to get into um, a mental health care appointment like a week less than a week later, um, because I called and spoke with the clinic and explained how how stressful, uh, and dark things had gotten. Uh, and so they managed to work me in, you know, faster, even then, uh, this was 2019. So before a lot of the squeeze, but still pretty fast. And, um, as almost as soon as I started talking to someone, it, I was able to get an entirely different perspective and, when I got medicated, um, again, it was an entire shift for me from feeling like I had to control everything all the time, which is something that was already true of me before this all happened. And it it just got absolutely blown out of proportion, um, when I was postpartum and it finally, I was able to take a deep breath and start letting some things go and start doing some of that prioritizing that we were just talking about where I didn't have to just hold everything all the time so close and burn myself to nothingness to make it all happen. And it was like finally letting your breath out after you, it was like finally taking the respirator out. I don't know if you're scuba certified, but like breathing underwater, really cool. Nothing feels as good as taking the respirator out and just taking a big old lung full of real air when you're back on the surface. And that was what it felt like for me. And that, as someone who came into the military with an eye on mental health, that was one of the reasons I wanted to be an officer is I was like, I'm going to help fix this thing that took this person away from me. And then to to go through the experience myself was like flick it on a light switch. It was like, I get it now. I get how hard it is to see it when you're in it. I get how hard it is to get the help. I get why it's so important. And I get why it feels like people are going to blame you, but also that there's nothing you could have done. It just happens and you deserve to take care of it. And so for me, that was really the start of this entire journey in advocacy was I had never seen someone openly talk about a diagnosis like I had um, and still be successful. And I wanted that to be the norm, which is like, you don't have to hide in that dark place. You don't have to go it alone. You don't have to be ashamed because all you did was see a problem 
address the problem and carry on smartly, which isn't that what they tell us to do with everything. Um, and so that's, to me, that was my seat is like, I got sick. I got help through a great support system. And I just, I so much want that for others. I don't want anyone to stay in the first chapter of that story where they feel the way I felt um, before my diagnosis and treatment. No, that's amazing. I, you know, and I kind of see two, two kind of um, triumphs in your story is that one, you know, you experienced that, that heartbreak, you know, with that family member um, and, and you did something so brave and courageous as, you know, took it head on and, and joined the military to try and, you know, get some insight and like you just said, you know, to try and fix it. So like, number one, that's amazing. And then two, yeah, like, you know, using that, that personal experience that you went through with the postpartum de depression, that it's foreign to a lot of people, especially, you know, new mothers. Um, I've two of my really, my best friends, you know, when they first became mothers and, and my sister as well, um, went through it. And that was kind of a first heard for me when it came to that. And so just having them share their experience with, with me kind of opened me up to that and gave me a perspective to kind of just look out for the sailors in my workplace that, that are pregnant or, or that maybe have a pregnant wife who just had a baby um, and just making sure that, you know, I'm making sure that they're okay too, because like you said, it's, it's something that's kind of unknown and, and foreign. And um, I commend you for being able to like share that story and, and showing others that like you can get through it and that you should seek help and that you can still be successful. Yeah. And, and so I, I talked, uh, I think I mentioned briefly, like I have a second diagnosis. So um, you can only technically be postpartum for so long. Um, and I was working with a psychiatrist. So I, I was still being treated for my PPA PPD when I got pregnant again, because it's the Navy. And sometimes you got to get them close when you're on seat, when you're on shore duty, um, you know, to make sure that you're still hitting career milestones for better or for worse. And um, so I was already in treatment and medicated uh, when I had my, my son, my second kid. And the difference between having a newborn with postpartum anxiety and depression and having a newborn when I was in treatment and therefore healthy, night and day, everything was better. And I've talked with my husband a lot and other people too. It's like, I feel robbed in a lot of ways of those first, you know, 10 weeks with my daughter where I couldn't be present and remember things and do the things I wanted to do because I was just, I was absolutely drowning in all of this other stuff. And I got to be that for my son, which is one of the things that drives me talking to other people about it because you do want them to get that help. You want that sailor to do what my husband did and see see the signs and feel empowered to talk to her if, if he needs to, um, or she, right. And, and get them that help so that they can have, have that healthy bond, have that perspective and that take that deep breath. Um, we want that for our sailors. We want that for our families and knowing just the black and white, the absolutely stark difference between the two experiences is what has me totally convinced 
that mental health is the key to fixing so many things, <laughs> so many things. Um, and you're right. So much of it does tie back um, to my family member where it's like, I was doing it for them for a long time. I wanted change. I wanted to be a better leader for them. And now I get to do it for both of us. I get to make a difference for what they went through and I get to make a difference for, for what I went through and it can all work together to make sailors happier and healthier in the future, hopefully. Yeah, and I think you're doing just that. Um, I, I love what you're doing and the message that you're promoting. And like, again, I just, I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to talk to you on this platform and, and share your yeah. message that way too, because it's really, it's such an inspiration. Thank you. Um, and so, I mean, and it was, it's always great to have, to be invited somewhere. Like sometimes it feels very weird to talk to my own iPhone um, and make posts where it's like, Hey, I have mental illness. Uh, it's not that bad. It's not, you know, it's, it's not that abnormal. It's, it's not going to ruin your life. It's sort of weird to do that. Um, and when people want to talk about it more, it makes me feel like I'm not just talking to myself. <laughs> um, and then, you know, maybe it is reaching someone who, who needs to hear it. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, well, again, thanks for sharing that story. Um, I just want to give, you know, one last opportunity for you to just provide like any advice if, that you haven't provided really already, or just something that, you know, you just want to send out to the audience that, that may be struggling, you know, currently with mental health care or any previous traumas or just anybody that's kind of similar, you know, to you. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, everyone's story is unique to them, but there is something in your story, everything in your story, someone else has in common with you. And I don't mean that to like devalue any of us. I mean it in a way that you're never alone. There's a lot of stress and a lot of trauma and a lot of um, hardships that come with any life, especially with military life. Um, but with things like Reddit and social media and excellent podcasts like this one, you can find someone who relates to whatever it is you're going through and someone who's made it out the other side. And if you are concerned about how dark the tunnel looks, use the official and all of these unofficial social media, whatever resources to find someone who's made it through because having that hope, knowing that it's possible, um, it makes all the difference. And that's what I really want for people is my story won't resonate with everyone, but there is someone out there who's made it through what you're going through. Um, and you deserve that hope. You deserve, you deserve all of the health care that you are owed. No matter what your brain or anyone else says to you, you deserve health care, both physical and mental. And you deserve to know that there's hope. Thank you. Um... And I think with that, you know, we can wrap everything up because that's that. Yeah, I mean, that's truly um, the the message that that I want to send, and that that I hope everybody can absorb to to just take care of themselves because we we want everybody alive and um, healthy. Absolutely, absolutely, and thank you so much for for having me on. I to to that point exactly. I think this podcast is. Um, 
it's an important step in helping people see, you know, the light on the other side, see stories that they might identify with um, and know that it can be okay. So I really appreciate everything you're doing. I think this is great. Yes, ma'am. It can and it will. But <laughs> all right. Well, I'll let you get back to your Sunday. Thank you so much again. And uh, I look forward to your new social media content. <laughs> awesome. I'll see you out there. <laughs> Have all a right. good one. You too. Listeners out there, I really appreciate your continued support. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. We will be releasing episodes every other Friday going forward. Again, as always, if you are currently struggling with mental health, please see a provider immediately. If you want additional resources, please take a look at the link in the episode description as there is a list of military medical resources available to you, nonprofit resources that are available to you, as well as several book recommendations that have personally helped me with my mental health care journey. Lastly, if you would like to contact the Seeds of Triumph podcast for any reason, or you want to get in contact with a previous guest on the show, please email us at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys again so much for listening and for all of your support. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Stay tuned for next week's episode. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.